Evil to the right hand, puts her down. He's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Leopold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Lazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Liebold, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. What is going on? Welcome. Hockey to hell and back, episode number... 99 we're closing in on episode 100 of course we've done more than 100 if you've been watching since day one when it used to be called hockey to heroin the road to recovery I feel like hockey to Hellenbach resonates a little bit more with people than hockey to heroin um shout out pete fry for uh for helping with the name change my old personal coach the goalie mindset guy friend of the show shout out to pete out there in british columbia if you're watching for the first time welcome if you're a return listener or watcher thank you thank you for being here i'm live from muskoka after this beautiful long weekend if you're in canada i hope you all had a wonderful long weekend i got some time in with the kids and on saturday night dream come true front row tom cochran big league in person let's go 
Boy Inside a Man, Life is a Highway, shout out Tom Cochran and Casino Rama. Holy, you want to talk about a venue for seeing some live music, Casino Rama, incredible. Thank you to Taylor for taking me. Front row, got to high five Tom Cochran. It was a dream come true. Tears in my eyes, big league, my all time favorite song. Uh, we're going to hear a quick message from Team Issue, and we'll be right back with Michael Landsberg, guys. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leovold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. Teamissued.ca, promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. Thank you to Regan Bartell, Jesse Paradise, everyone over there at Team Issue. They've been with me since the third show ever. So thank you to Jesse, my former teammate with the Kelowna Rockets. Uh, but we'll get right into the show. This guy's been on my show a couple times, but it's been over a year since we last connected. You guys probably best know him for his incredible work on TSN. It seems like he worked there forever, at least my entire life up until... Just about a year ago, I think, and he can correct me when he comes on here, but we're going to connect with Michael Landsberg. He's really been the face of mental health here in Canada and beyond. Early on, we talked about it on the last show. I'm sure we're going to get into it a little bit here tonight, but a guy that I really look up to, he's done incredible work with Sick Not Week. If you're not following them already, which I'm sure you probably are, if you're watching the show at Sick Not Week, make sure you do so. Do so. We're going to be talking all about that tonight. So without further ado, let's bring him in, my friend, Michael Landsberg. How are you, man? Oh, we got we got no volume. Okay, how about you? Yeah, you know what? I was just messing with your head. I was fucking with you because I thought, okay, pretend like I'm I'm on mute, but of course I would never be on mute. How you doing? First of all, second of all, uh, you you've uh, like I've noticed since the last time I was on, you've uh, you know your your broadcasting is uh, it was pretty good the last time I was on, and now it's it's really good. You know, you have a you have a, a genuineness to it to you you have this you know like you feel like there's a real guy in there and uh, that's a hard thing you know for a lot of people to achieve so uh, good job on that well thank you and thanks for being here thank you so much for the kind words coming from you that certainly means a lot you're a seasoned professional uh we don't get to see you quite as much uh, on the broadcasting front tell us a little bit about where you're at today michael and how the transition's been away from tsn and kind of being in that limelight to talking sports all day you know, I I really am enjoying the fact that uh, I I don't I'm not professionally talking about sports. Uh, it's it's allowed me to enjoy the sports that I enjoy and to be able to ignore the stuff that I don't really enjoy that much. And one of the reasons why I uh, I got really tired of of broadcasting sports was just talking about you know like who should be on the fourth line of the Maple Leafs. You know, Jason Spezza. What you know what what's his role? Like I I started to not really care that much about that stuff, and I knew at that point it was probably time for me to move on. So I'm I'm in a really good place. Uh, I I can't believe that it's been a year since you and I spoke. There's this two year void, two plus year void that we all have because of the pandemic, which is it's just freaks me out to think how long it's been since we actually have lived normal lives. Uh, and, you know, we're still not at that. But uh, so I really wanted to get into mental health talking full time. Uh, and 
in a weird way, the pandemic allowed me more access to people because uh, all the talks that I was doing were virtual. But it's not nearly as rewarding, not nearly as much fun, not nearly as effective. The good thing about doing virtual talks is it's two hours of your day, right? I mean, you know, I typically speak for an hour, an hour and a half, take questions or whatever, and that's it. Uh, but when you fly to a city, it tends to be very often, you know, three days. You fly there the day uh, before, you do your talk the next day, and then you fly home the day after. So I'm excited to be getting back into that. I'm going to Calgary this week. Uh, right. I have... Uh, I have uh, a whole bunch of things that I'm really looking forward to. And I, I kind of never get tired of uh, just talking about mental health uh, in a way that, um, you know, comes from my heart and soul. And anytime you can talk about something that is genuinely you, you're kind of lucky in your life and especially lucky if you can make a difference in anybody else's life. No kidding. You said it. You, I couldn't have said it any better myself. And Yeah, we figured that. You know, I don't think anyone said, oh, Brady could say it better than Landsberg. You see, I'm just being a dick now because that's what people expect of me. See, I, you know, I, I said it in an intro that I wrote for someone who, when I was giving a talk, I write, typically will say, you know, let me write you an intro for me because I don't want... You know, I, I, I hate long intros, first of all. Like when people say, uh, Michael Landsberg began as broadcaster. Well, who gives a shit? Seriously. You know, if you're getting up in front of an audience to speak, who cares what you did any time in your life before? If over the next hour you don't change people's lives and make a difference in their life, then you're a failure, regardless of what you did. So I, uh, I, I remember writing, uh, I guess a couple of months ago, an intro that said, you know, Michael Landsberg has always been an acquired taste. Uh, which kind of sums up, you know, like everything I did in broadcasting, which was some people like me and some people didn't like me. Uh, and now I get to use that to my advantage. There was a do you, do you feel like there was a lot of people that continued to watch you based on that? Maybe yes. the fact that they disagreed with you. So you used it to your advantage there, too. Right. Yeah. You know, I was the guy I, I got to tell you, like like this story just occurred to me, but. So I, I, I'm sure you're familiar with focus groups, right? Of you know, a, a lot of our world revolves around these little focus groups. So you get 15 people in a room. They're paid, um, you know, 100 bucks to be there, say. Uh, they don't even know why they're there, typically. And uh, then the leader of the focus group goes in the room. The client, which in my case, of course, was TSN, um, we're sitting in uh, the other room across from or looking through the one-way mirror, right? So we're, we can see these people there. Uh, and they were doing a focus group on off the record and they invited me to come, which was actually quite a compliment from the standpoint that they knew that I could, I could handle it. Right. So these people don't know why they're there. And the guy who leads the focus group goes in and we're all watching this. And he says, okay, thank you all for coming. I just want to let you know that you're here to give us your opinion and your views on something that's TSN. And one guy there goes, I swear to God, he goes, it better not be that guy Landsberg because I fucking hate that guy's guts. And it was like, oh my God, like he had, he had no, no idea what it was going to be, but he was, he hated me so much that he just blurted it out even before he was told that's what it was going to be. Uh, so that kind of sums up in a lot of ways how a lot of people looked at me and uh, I was always good with it. I kind of thought it was funny because uh, of all the people who, you know, people called me arrogant all the time. And uh, I, I thought that was funny because uh, of all the announcers that I work with, 
um, the broadcasters, no one uh, was nicer to people than me. I'm not saying there wasn't anyone that was as nice to people, but no one treated the crew better. No one treated viewers better. No one treated, um, you know, the Uber driver better than me. So the fact that people thought I was like looking down at people was bizarre. Well, and you must have been able to take it with a grain of salt, like when you're sitting there. How did that initially like make you feel? And was there ever a time where maybe things like that actually started to get to you ever? Yeah, good question. Uh, I, I think, you know, I heard it from like the first day I was on the air uh, that, well, you know, Landsberg thinks he's this and that. And, you know, I guess I gave off some kind of, you know, vibe that had people thinking that, right? Because I heard it all the time. So obviously, if people are, are thinking it regularly, and it's not just one outlier, obviously, you know, like I'm giving off some kind of vibe like that. But I kind of embraced it. I kind of thought that, okay, you know, I mean, you know, this cocky swagger that I clearly do have when I feel good. Uh, everything kind of gets footnoted with a mental health, like when I feel good. Um, you know, I've got this, hey, you know, like I... I, like I have this confidence and I have this way, uh, especially interviewing people, which is, hey, you know, like if, if I don't like your answer, if I think you're lying, then I'm going to push you on it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I kind of knew that like right from the beginning and I made a decision. And here's the really uh, important lesson from the decision. You can't decide that you're not going to listen to criticism if you listen to compliments. You can't pick and choose. So I decided, you know what? I don't care what anyone says about me. I don't care if someone writes a nice article. I don't care if somebody gives me an award. I don't care about any of that because if I listen to the good, then as much as I'd like to, I can't ignore the bad. So I just stopped listening, right? And I just kind of accepted the fact that, you know, people think different things. As long as enough people watch your show for the place that you're working to make money, then who cares what they think of you? it's a great it's actually a great way to look at it and i guess i guess it probably you know give you did it give you more fuel and and how does that affect you now like in the transition because i'm sure there's no doubt that you know you've been speaking for for a living for a long time but now you're out kind of in this uh this different setting have you had any pushback from say your off the record days follow you into some talks where people have met you and been like hey you're nothing like you know i thought you were on that show all the time all the time so, yeah. I mean, I, I gave a speech last uh, last week or the I guess two weeks ago. And this was one of my first face to face speeches that I've given um, because, you know, like the pandemic, now people are holding events. And this was to the Ontario Association of Fire Chiefs. So there's 350 some odd fire divisions in Ontario and each one has a fire chief. Uh, so I'm giving a talk to these guys who clearly have, uh, you know, like like everyone on the planet, there is an importance of mental illness that that obviously is significant, but to fire chiefs who are yeah. responsible for the mental well-being of, of the firefighters across Ontario, it's a huge topic. So I get up there and the first thing I say is, okay, raise your hand if you know me from or know me from off the record. And I don't know, like 90% of the people there put up their hands. I said, now raise your hand if you thought, if you didn't like me, when you watch the show, if you said I, not 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 so much that you didn't watch the show, but the fact that you you watched and you thought, yeah, I don't like that guy. And I don't know, like 50 people put up their hands and I said, hey, I respect that um, because uh, because you're being honest. And sometimes it's not easy to put up your hand in that situation with the guy standing right in front of you. And the truth is, you know, I don't care. And I'm going to ask the same question when I'm done. 
and I'll say, how many of you who put up your hands before the 50 um, think, yeah, you know what? He's not a bad guy. And when I do that in a talk, almost invariably, people go, no, you know what? I, 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 I was wrong about you. Because when you bear your soul, when you share something uh, deep and personal that many people find it impossible to think about sharing, and I'm talking about mental illness and how it makes us feel. Uh, when you share that with people, uh, I, I think you change their views about, uh, in my case, how they see me. Well, it's, I, I think it's really encouraging, too, to hear that when people can actually, I guess it's, it's kind of unfair because they don't really get to see another side of you other than what they were seeing in, on TV, right? They don't see how you're treating the crew or the Uber driver, all the things that you're talking well, sure. about. For sure. You, you know, uh, I don't know if I told you this story the, um, one of the other times I was on, but it's one of my favorite uh, stories, uh, one of my favorite Landsberg stories. But, you know, I'm Landsberg. So what other stories would I have? Uh, I was at a, a Leaf game and I was in line between periods to get uh, to get something to eat. And I, I looked beside me and the guy beside me is staring at me. And when you work on television, you know, you're kind of used to people looking at you, right? Because you're out of context. So they're not sure 100 percent. You know, like, hey, I, I think I recognize that guy. So uh, I look at him and I smile and I say, hey, how are you doing? And he goes, uh, I'm OK. I go uh, and I said, you know, I introduced myself to him. This, this is what I do because I'm a good guy. Right. Hey, Michael Lansford. He goes, I know who you are. I go, oh, OK. He goes, I watch your show. I go, oh, OK. Well, you know, thank you. Uh, and he says, uh, I don't like you. I said to him, this is the exact quote. I said to him, are you saying that because you genuinely don't like me or are you just trying to be a dick? And he said, I genuinely don't like you. And I said to him, totally respect that. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I respect the fact that you had the guts to tell me that. And uh, if, if you don't like me, how am I gonna tell you you're wrong? Like, like well, how would that sound? Oh, you're wrong. I, you know, like if that's your opinion, there's no such thing as a wrong opinion, right? If you don't like me, then then that's as much as you need to say, valid. He goes, so you're not mad? I go, no, not, not only am I not mad, but I totally respect the fact that you had the guts to say it. And he goes like this. Oh, man. Now, now, now he's a huge Michael Landsberg fan. He's beaten. He's so beaten. And he goes, oh, man, I'm sorry. I was being a dick. It was like, oh, God, this is a great moment in my life. And, and the lesson there is, is, uh, is one that anybody who works in uh, I, pretty well any field, but in a field where you're visible, is that you, don't, you, you can't argue with people. If it's their opinion, if someone doesn't like you, they're not wrong to not like you. That's their opinion. I mean, I watch television. There's people I like and people I don't like. I'm not wrong on the ones I don't like. It's just an opinion. <laughs> Well, I, I wish I had a little bit more of that in me. It's something that I think a lot of people in that situation might, you know, fight, fight to get that person to like them. Right. Like they'd be like, well, come on. Like, you know, and I think that's a natural for most people. I think we just want to be accepted and, and liked in any and all situations. So right. but what you have to remember is that uh, guy's opinion. He's entitled right. to it, right? And yeah. also, I'm smart enough to know that if I would have said, no, I'm a great guy, you know, fuck you, man. Uh, that's not going to do it, right? That's going to feed into his impression of who I am to start with, right? But, you know, I chose to go about it in the exact opposite way by, by making him come to the conclusion on his own that, hey, you know, he's not a bad guy at all. I love it. I love that. I want to kind of circle back for a sec about um, like you're getting out there, you're, you're speaking, giving a lot of speeches, uh, 
virtually and now out in person. You've been doing this quite, for quite like a, quite a few years. I mean, more actively now. Mm -hmm. But tell me a little bit about maybe the difference in comparison to when you first started doing this uh, versus now and, and kind of the response you're getting from people and maybe some of the feedback and, and people reaching out to you. And what does that look like over the course of the last five years or so? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it started for me in 2009 on Off the Record, coming off the worst year of my depression life, where I was like really, you know, kind of life and death to survive. Uh, I was feeling better in October of 2009. So uh, the previous year and a half was a disaster for me. And Stéphane Richer was a guest on Off the Record. And I, uh, I had read just before I went to greet him and the other guests in the green room, that he'd battled depression in the 1990s. Now, I'd never spoken about uh, my battle with depression and anxiety and you know, the ups and downs of my life on television because I thought no one would care. I actually you know, kind of related it to the way people saw me and I kind of thought that they'll go, oh yeah, Landsberg knows a lot of people don't like him. So he wants us to like him and feel sorry for him. So he's telling us this story about you know, depression. And I thought, you know, like I, I'm not looking for people to like me. And I was so ignorant about the stigma that I didn't know there was a huge benefit to talking about it. So I'll fast forward through this. So I, I went and greeted Stefan and said, hey, hey Stefan, can you come outside with me for a second? I said, I read that you struggled with depression in the 1990s. Would it be okay if I asked you how you're doing? And he said, I, I'd rather not talk about it because it's very painful. And I said, okay, you know, I'm glad I asked you in advance, but if you'll talk about it, I'll talk about it. And he said, what would you talk about? So I told him my story. Uh, I told him about my previous year and a half. I told him about being in a hotel room in Montreal uh, 112408YULMH521-0400, which represents November the 24th, uh, 2008, Marriott Hotel in Montreal, room 521, 4 a.m. in the morning. When I actually thought, you know, I, I don't know how much longer I can go on kind of living like this. So he said, yeah, let's talk about it. So we went on the air. We talked about it for two minutes, maybe. And that changed the course of my life. Like, I, I mean, my, my life's going in one direction and then he says, yeah, I'll talk about it. And then we go on the air and we talk about it. But then when I started to seeing the responses to just the two of us talking for two minutes, the exact opposite direction, it changed my view of talking about mental illness. It changed my view of my own mental illness. And basically since that day, I, you know, kind of haven't shut up. And, and the response, like, the people obviously responded to it right away, right? But are people more open to it now? Say if you go in and you're speaking uh, to these 300 plus fire chiefs, that's typically an old boys club. My dad's a retired firefighter. I think they've come a long ways, um, but you know, a little bit. Sorry, sorry, Brady, one sec. Just yeah. so you know, the reason why I'm leaning over is I'm uh, scratching my dog's head. Okay. <laughs> Cause he was going like, Whoa, what about me? You know how dogs can whistle through their nose to say, come on, pay attention to me. So yeah, keep going. No problem. I seen him in the Leafs jersey pre pre -elimin oh, pre elimination. Oh, so cute! I, I was I was with him on the street uh, maybe a half hour ago, and some guy. So he's lying down on the sidewalk, and I'm sitting on the sidewalk just enjoying a nice evening. Some guy pulls over in his car and goes, "Oh my God, the cutest dog I've ever seen!" And I thought, "Wow, he must be cute." If someone like you know, he's stopping traffic. But please continue. Your dad was a firefighter. Yeah, my dad's a re retired fire captain, and uh, I'm pretty close friends with Stuart Smith, who's uh, assistant fire chief out in, in Abbotsford, and many other of my friends are firefighters, always been tied to that community. Uh, I'm just kind of curious as to, you know, without sharing too much, but have you noticed people like more receptive and maybe do they pay more attention to their own 
mental health because I've heard um, through that community, a lot of them, uh, I'm not going to point any fingers out. I don't know if he's watching the show or not, but um, just saying that, you know, when they first brought this stuff uh, to the to their attention more to the forefront that like himself was like, okay, I'm just going to lead the way here. I don't really need to focus on this, but I'm going to just do it to set a good example for the, for the younger generation. But he's since changed his tune. So I'm just seeing notice maybe, or sorry, if you've noticed any like significant change in sort of people's reception to this topic. Oh yeah, for sure. I have, uh, I've noticed it, uh, you know, on a number of different levels. The first level that I notice it is that, you know, more people ask me to talk now. Um, than than before, for sure. And and more sort of conservative, traditional corporations. Like on Wednesday, I'm talking to TD Bank uh, Canada Trust, TD Canada Trust. And uh, like banks are about as conservative as it gets. And, you know, banks for uh, until recently would never have talked about mental illness because to them it was like it was dirty and it represented weakness. Uh, it was kind of this taboo subject that they were not going to deal with. But now I think over the last 10 years, people have slowly come around. And I think the pandemic has really forced people to deal with it because the number of people uh, in every organization, in every walk of life, the number of people that are struggling with mental health challenges, and it's not always mental illness, right? Like you could yeah. be really struggling after the pandemic, but that doesn't mean that you have a mental illness. It could be that, you know, you have this thing that, you know, I might call it pandemic panic or pandemic fatigue where, yeah, you know, you, you, you're worried about your future and, you know, you're really kind of down of all the things that you've lost. Um, that's kind of a normal reaction to the situation. But a lot of people who weren't struggling with a mental illness before probably are now. And a lot of people who were before are probably worse now. So I think that there's a, a much wider group that see mental health talk as being really relevant. And the thing that I offer to them is they say, look, you know, I'm, I'm not a doctor. Everything I talk about it, none of it is clinical. Uh, I offer no advice really, or, or, or like medical advice for sure. I say, you know, I'm really aware of staying in my lane. I said, but you know, one of the things that I can do is I can make people feel like they're understood. Mm. You, know, you have people that are working for you and whether it's firefighters or whether it's people at a bank or any other aspect of life who just are not comfortable with their own mental illness because they think they're the only ones. I mean, this sense of loneliness that goes with being, uh, you know, having an illness like depression, uh, you know, can be overpowering. We think, oh my God, I'm the only one. And, you know, somehow this is my fault and I'm on this island all by myself. And then you get this guy, Landsberg, in front of this group talking about how depression makes me feel and what it's done to me. And people go, wow, oh my God this guy understands me. It's like, you know, it's like he's in my head. And my point is that we all feel some things the same, all of us, every single one. So I can help people feel understood, but also I can help people who care about someone with a mental illness mm. better understand how they can't understand because I know what I feel in my head. I know how it was impossible for me before I started battling depression to understand depression. I had no idea, Brady, what it was like. I, I, uh, this was like, for me, it was this, oh my God, I, I can't, like, I know I got to see a doctor because I know I have depression, but this is not what I thought it was. This is a thousand times worse. So I think that people need to hear that message and they're coming around to the idea that, yeah, you know, like there's, there's no negative to this. 
Uh, and businesses are coming around to the idea that if you invest a dollar into mental health awareness, you will get back, I mean, I, I actually was just um, researching this today, so I'm pretty familiar with the numbers. Uh, you get back a dollar eighty after one year, and two dollars and eighty cents after three years of mental health talk. And Bell, who talked about you know mental health for six years, found that they got back from a dollar invested, they got like six dollars. So you know companies just aren't afraid of the discussion the same way they were. Well, I love to hear it too. And it's so important, I think, too, from a company standpoint, when you're when you're paying attention to this and giving people outlets. And sometimes for me, what I've found through my own struggles and that wasn't always uh, a doctor or a psychiatrist or this elaborate, you know, group, or sometimes it's just a, a conversation within your own community, uh, maybe at work or whatever that can that can help turn things around, even if it's just for a short period of time in that day, because I don't know about you, but the onset uh, of some of the things that I go through, they, they can come and go throughout a, a day like this, like just constant up and downs. And I heard you talk about something that you, uh, uh, you know, have done. And I loved it when I saw it was you you wrote in the mirror, um, you know, you don't suck, right? That's what you write on the mirror. Tell us a little bit about that and what kind of impact that has on your life. Cause I, I love that. I love it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think that, um, all there's, okay. So there's four things that we all experience. The first two, um, when it comes to depression or addiction or uh, anxiety, I mean, I can't speak for, um, some mental illnesses that I've never experienced. Right. So that's why I kind of stay in what I know, but there's two things that we all experience. One of them is the loss of the ability to experience joy. Like that is so fundamental to mental illness. It just, it's, 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 it's something that everybody with depression will tell you they go through. It, it's not like good things don't happen to us. It's just that we can't feel the good things, right? I mean, you can still win the lottery when you battle depression, but if you win the lottery when you battle depression and you're at a bad time in your day or in your week or in your life, if you're really struggling the way I have at different times in my life and you win the lottery, you can't feel it being good. You can say, oh, this is really good. You know, I look, I can give money to this person and that person. And I, you know, my kids can can do what they want and all all of these things. You can know that it's good but you won't feel that it's good because you don't feel anything is good because your brain has lost the ability to feel joy. Uh, and that's the first thing. But the second thing, and this gets to you know me writing on a mirror, uh, you don't suck. Uh, we all lose self-esteem, all of us. You know, And this is the thing that not too many people talk about because we, we don't wanna be seen as, as losing self-esteem. Everyone wants everybody else to think, oh, you know, like I'm super confident in myself. I believe in myself. But a mental illness like depression robs us of that because it's like this voice in our head and this voice in our head tells us all the things that we don't want to hear, all the things that we're afraid of hearing. It will repeat over and over again. Michael, you're on Brady's show. You want to do a good job for him. You're going to suck so bad. Oh, man, this is like this is what depression would tell me, the voice of depression. Oh, you know what? You're going to be talking and, you know, he's going to be thinking, man, this guy used to be pretty good at it. Now he really sucks. And people will be watching and saying, you know, all kinds of terrible things and you look awful and you sound awful that's what depression does so when i wrote on a mirror uh, a message to myself the message is to remind me that on a bad day all the things that i'm hearing from my depression are not actually true they're just the illness trying to take me down and one of the things that i need to learn on those days is that i don't suck so yeah. 
you know, you don't suck. And that can be, I mean, it's, it's not like that makes the voice go away, but it reminds me that this voice in my head is actually uh, trying to take me down. And it is part of the illness that we call depression. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it, it can be, it can be extremely ex exhausting too. And, and for a couple of reasons, and I wonder if you experience it ever and, and maybe not so much now because people have a better understanding, but do people ever feel like, you know, they're like, like what's wrong? Like, why can't you just be happy? Oh, yeah. The people that are around you, it's a really difficult thing for, for somebody to have to be around somebody with depression as well. What has that been like for you? Um, and have you been on both sides of it? Because, you know, we talk about what you've gone through, but have you had to deal with people close to you with depression on the other side as well? And, and what do your family members do for you, maybe, Michael? Yeah, I, I, I think that uh, what you say is really important and, and really true. It's, it's very difficult to care about someone who has an illness like depression. And there's this, this uh, absolute need for honesty and communication. Like if I didn't tell my wife that I was sick, if uh, when I was first diagnosed with depression and I had been really sick for probably eight, nine months before that, if I didn't tell her, you know, something's wrong with me, um, she would have thought, oh, my God, like like he, does, he, he must hate me now. Right. Because he doesn't smile the way he used to smile. He doesn't want to talk. You know, like like depression is the illness that makes us retreat. Right. You know, it's like on a bad day, I want to be by myself. And unless you tell somebody that cares about you, that you want to be by yourself because it's easier for you to cope with your illness, unless you tell them that, they'll think you want to be by yourself because you don't want to be with them. So it's incredibly difficult. And there's a huge amount of guilt that goes with it, right? I know yeah. that's what you were just talking about. Uh, you didn't say the word guilt, but you, know, you, have, you have people that care about you and you have people that um, their happiness is often dictated by you. So if you're incapable of bringing joy to the table, then you feel terrible about it, right? Like you think, oh my God, you know, like how, how can I do this to my family, right? Because my illness is affecting everybody else. Uh, and that's a, a lesson that we all have to learn that it's not our fault. Uh, and it, it kind of gets to uh, this, the golden rule, you know, the golden rule, right? Which is uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? Well, the golden rule for someone with depression, someone with mental illness, someone with addiction, um, you know, someone like the two of us, yeah. the golden rule is do unto you as you would do unto others. We're so nice to other people, right? You know, we look at other people and go, oh, don't feel guilty. Why would you feel guilty? Come on, this isn't your fault. You know, you're doing the best you can. But we don't say that to ourselves. And that's a really important lesson that we need to try to learn. Try. I mean, uh, a lot of these things that I say are really difficult to implement. Like it's, it's easy to say, oh, don't feel guilty about, you know, about your illness and what it does to other people. But it is, uh, it's tough. And uh, I know from caring um, for people, especially people that I, I, I actually don't know them, right? You know, who I pick up along the way, who you know, reach out for because of a tweet or because of something I said, or I give a speech. And, you know, I, I tend to, uh, I tend to hold on to people because I feel like I owe it to them. If I bring something to their lives that will make a difference in their life, I can't just say, okay, well, you know, I don't have time for this. Uh, Cause in essence, you don't have time for obviously everyone that you would come in contact with. But I, I you know, I, I try to show people, you know, the value of how they see themselves and how they treat themselves. Uh, and that's a really important thing. 
Very much so. And, and for for yourself, is there is there something that you've been able to or some things that you've been able to maybe acquire along the way? You don't even have to share them, but I'm just kind of curious. As I, would to- share, I would share anything. I mean, the, the best thing about being an advocate like like you are and like I am is when you can look and say, hey, I got no secrets, right? Because those secrets maybe are the key to giving somebody else an understanding of their mm-hmm. own illness. I don't mean that I, you know, like I don't have any, uh, I mean, I actually don't have any secrets, but I mean, I don't have to go on and say, hey, well, I failed out of university. I mean, that's not necessarily relevant to my mental health story. But I mean, the truth is, I, I actually don't have any secrets. And I think it's uh, it's really important, you know, to kind of if you're going to if you're going to offer people, you know, a look inside you, then you shouldn't have a filter on that look. You should you know, the window should be wide open. So what's your question? <laughs> My question is, uh, maybe some tools you developed, if you've noticed, um, is, have you kind of developed any coping strategies over the years? Or do you recognize any triggers? Or maybe can you recognize depression coming at different times? Or does it hit you? And where are you at today um, in in respect to dealing with your depression? Yeah, see, that's a, that's a really valid question. So, see, like I've had, I, I've had two different phases of, well, let, let's make it three different phases in my depression life. You know, the phase that I'm in right now is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good, right? Because I'm on, uh, I'm on medication uh, and medication has, has really helped me. I mean, it's flawed and there's a lot about being on medication that I actually dislike, but being on meds has, has helped me. So if you ask me like, what is depression now for you while you're on meds? Uh, I would say that, you know, I'm pretty good and my bad days are not terrible days. Uh, and most days are pretty good. My pretty good days are not great ever, right? I can't feel greatness. Um, when I say greatness, I'm not even sure hundred percent what that means, but you know, my, my, my feelings largely, uh, are numbed and they fit into a certain rage where that maybe a normal person has, you know, an upside here and a downside here. I'm trying to stay within the camera boundaries. Uh, but mine is kind of like this, right? Like I live my life in here in between. So that's me on medication. And basically, you know, some days I'll wake up and I feel good. And then some days I'll wake up and I don't feel good. And today I felt, uh, I felt pretty good today. Uh, yesterday I felt pretty good. Uh, I went to a wedding last night and I, uh, on, on my blog, I said, you know, uh, I only went to the washroom once, which is going to, I mean, sounds like really weird, but when I don't feel good in a, in a setting like being at a wedding with a couple hundred people there, when I don't feel good, I try to escape, right? So I'll just say to my wife, you know, hey, I'm just going to the washroom. Uh, and I'll just stand in there, right? You know, which you got to be careful, right? Because people look at you like, who's the creep, you know, who's just standing in the washroom. But that's, that's how I look for relief. Or I'll go outside, you know, or I'll just find a way to get away from everyone. So the fact that I only went out once last night, and it was genuinely because I had to pee, um, is a reflection of me feeling pretty good. So that's one. Number two, um, when I haven't been on medication and when I have relapsed, every day, every second is torture. It's not like I have, it's not ups and downs. It's not like I have good days and bad days. Every single second is, is, is horrible. Every single second is a battle to get to the next second. And I really only get out of bed in the morning uh, because I know that I have responsibilities. But beyond that, it's just in the hopes of getting back in bed at night. It's like, okay, 
All I got to do is I got to get out of bed. I got to be out of bed for 12 hours. Then I can go back in bed and pull the covers over my head and not talk to anyone, not see anyone. That's depression for me. It's, it's this absolute bottom of a massive hole that I look up and I can't see the top of the hole. I don't think I'm ever getting out of it, even though I've known that I can get out of it because I've been through this four times and each time I have found treatment that has helped. So that's like the, that's the bad side. And then there's, you know, times when I've been off medication before I relapsed that I actually felt really good, right? Where it was like, oh my gosh, this is, I mean, this is basic life for most people, right? And I'm not saying because I have depression that I have a, you know, a worse life than other people. Like other people have different illnesses, right? You know, life is really hard for a lot of people. But for me, being off meds, meaning not having the side effect of that narrow range and not feeling the illness is kind of like the dream. So kind of three ways that I live my life. Wow. Wow. You know, I, I think of, I just think about that too. I, I think how many, how many times does my bed just call me? And, and often I, I I'll admit it wins. Like if I don't have something going on and I, you know, if I have some, some time and I'm having a day, it, I don't, I, there's days when I cannot do anything. It feels like there's a thousand pounds pushing against me in everything that I'm doing. And it's just the most awful feeling. And then for me, my part of my problem is when I'm laying in bed, then I start beating myself up even more for laying in bed. And it's like, man, you should get up. You can't get up. like that, that voice that you talked about earlier, something I deal with pretty heavily too, pretty heavily. You know, what you just described is, uh, is really, uh, I mean, it's so bang on for everyone. Mm. You know, all of us that have this, um, you know, this lack of motivation because of the illness, we attribute sometimes to our own lack of a motiv motivation. It's like, wh why am I like this? You know, I I'm like, why, why am I so lazy? Why can I not get up and do stuff? You know, this is my fault. And, and that is so damaging because it's like you're this low and then you're in bed for two hours or you're on the couch for two hours and you start to beat yourself up and now you're this low. So yeah. it's like the illness lives off the illness. It feeds off itself and makes itself worse. So on Saturday, for instance, you know, I was, I was, I was on the couch for, I don't know, probably six hours on Saturday. And, you know, after about two hours of going, okay, well, I should, you know, go downstairs and use the treadmill, right? And I should, you know, I have a speech coming up next Wednesday. This was on Saturday. Well, you know, why am I not doing prep for that? Why am I not doing this and that? So, you know, not only are you feeling down and the illness has got you sort of tethered to the couch, but now as you think about why you're on the couch, you start to beat yourself up and it gets even worse. Yeah. And do you notice, do you notice like on, on days when you are, let's say you have these responsibilities, let's say you're doing a speech, but it's just one of those days, like you, you find a way to be professional and push through, but do you notice, um, that it, that not necessarily maybe affects your work, but does it affect your mental health having to push through in sometimes these moments where you just don't want to, and how do you deal with that? Yeah, it's, it's hard. I mean, it's the, the thing that I hate the most about, about, you know, having this illness is on days when I can't be myself. You know, we all have these internal battles that are particular to us. Like I said, there's like four things that we all feel. Hopelessness, 
Um, you know, when you're really in it, you think to yourself, okay, I'm, I'm never getting better, right? You have this loneliness. I'm the only one. No one can understand me. This loss of self-esteem, which I talked about, the, this loss of the ability to experience joy. We all have those same things, right? Um, but there's also things that are particular to us because our lives are all different. So for me, it's, it's I can't be me. I can't be the, the smiley, happy guy who's a smart ass, who can engage anybody in conversation. So I'll beat myself up for just being less than I want to be, even if I'm not like performing, even if I'm not giving a talk or doing a show or something like that, even just having, you know, basic conversations. When I walk down the street with my dog and I see someone coming the other way, someone I know from my street. And, you know, if I don't engage them in, in banter that I think is kind of like my best, if I don't make them smile or laugh or whatever, then I beat myself up, which is absurd. But that's how the illness manifests itself in me. Mm -hmm. I feel I feel you on that one. You, the days the days when you the days when you when you're feeling good, though, and, and you know, it's the opposite for me, I just, I wish I could hold on, you know, the, the, sometimes these moments for me are fleeting where it's like, Oh, I'm feeling great. And for no particular reason at all, the next day I'll wake up and it's like this again, like this again. Yeah. Um, and, and it, it's, it's not like every day. So I want to be very clear on that. It's not every day, but there's, there's periods and what I've noticed. And I, for me, I've really started kind of put the pieces together a lot of people experience depression in the in the winter months i'm the opposite it's like at the end of hockey season from the time i can remember even now even though i'm not even playing really anymore it's like right around that time when playoffs would start like you know you're either in the playoffs or you're not right around that time it's like i just start to go into this downhill through summer and it's it's really starting to interest me. And I'm thinking back of all the years I struggled through summers, which is kind of weird. Um, I'm wondering if you've ever heard of that, people struggling. Oh, yeah. Through yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I, I don't think it's so much seasonal is it, as it is um, related to, you know, what, um, what gave you, like when the times in your life when you, when you played, right? Where did you yeah. get your self-esteem from? You know, yeah. where did you feel like you had something to offer? Where did you feel like, hey, I can do this really well? Where do people respect you? And the answer is, you know, like during hockey season when you were on the ice and then you take that away. And I think that's really common for people, um, you know, who are high performers in a seasonal sport. Um, because when you take that away, uh, you don't have that same boost to your self-esteem, that same ego boost that is really important. And that's one of the reasons why it's so devastating for um, people like, you know, hockey players to uh, to retire. Right. You know, because then, you know, it's like the summer, but it's 12 months a year. Right. Because now you're no longer the big deal that you were. And I don't mean that that um, I, I don't mean that you miss it because you want to be a big deal, but just how the world perceived you when you played. Yeah. is now is that that's gone and now you're just like everyone else and you know what i tell guys who who i know and who i like who are retiring you know i say you you got to find a way to um to get this self-esteem boost uh, it's not going to come from hockey anymore so you got to find some other place to get it and it may not be as good it may not be the same you know like you may never feel again if you play to the nhl you know what it's like to stand you know to skate onto the ice at the uh, scotia bank arena on a saturday night you know with the crowd cheering you may never feel that again 
but there are things you can do in your life that will make you feel good about yourself. Yeah. And you make a really good point. There's been, there's been, and there continues to be several um, guys that I know and women too, that have, have retired from, from women's hockey as well. Um, that they just, some of them never uh, find themselves. Some of them behind me on the wall have taken their own life or died of overdose. And um, it, it's just such a, such a tough transition. And I mean, I'm kind of curious as to what, what you saw over your years working in sports. And if you had any pushback from the sporting world about like, Hey, keep this mental health talk down or like early on, like what was it like for you? And, and uh, did you ever have people come up to you kind of in secret because there was this great oh, yeah. behind oh, yeah. it? You know, it's, it's amazing how uh, I heard from some people who would go, Hey, you know, uh, you know, kind of me too kind of thing. Uh, but it's amazing how as time went on, people have now shared, you know, their battles. And these are people that I talk to, you know, regularly about my own mental health and they never said a word, right? You know, they were on a show uh, on Off the Record, say, when I was talking about mental health and they never said a word. And then, uh, you know, and then I find out like eight years later, oh my gosh, that person was sitting there listening to me talk about depression and pretending like they didn't understand what it was. And I understand that, right? Like I understand the stigma, I understand why, People don't necessarily want to share, but I, I found it to be really, uh, really uh, important to understand that, you know, people can look you in the eye uh, and not show you that they understand you. I mean, the worst story, you know, I, I don't tell this very often, but there was uh, in 2011, uh, I did uh, a documentary called Darkness and Hope, Depression, Sports and Me. So it was uh, it was uh, on CTV. So um, they gave us a contract to produce a documentary, which was like for me, it was like incredible, like the whole experience and, and then going out to publicize it and hearing from people who actually introduced me as here's documentary filmmaker Michael Landsberg. And it's like, oh, my God, that bumps my IQ up by like 50 points for, as opposed to, you know, sports broadcaster Michael Landsberg. But, you know, we produced this documentary and we shot for a couple of days, we shot sort of behind the scenes on off the record. So there's a shot in it where you can see me talking to camera. Uh, I think I was interviewing uh, Roddy Piper. Uh, I don't know if you were a wrestling guy, but yeah, Roddy Piper just happened to be a guest on that day. Uh, And uh, I mean, so you see this shot and the, the camera person that's shooting me is this guy, Mario. Yeah, that, that would be it. Dark says, no, depression sports to me. Thank you. Uh, and would be this camera guy uh, named Mario. And the reason why I, I'm mentioning this is that, so he heard me talking about on Bell Let's Talk Day. He would have heard me speaking. He would have heard me, you know, talking on this documentary. He would have heard me talking off camera a million times. Never mentioned his own battle. And then one day I go into work and someone says, oh, my God, did you hear about Mario? And I said, no, what? And they said he took his own life. So here's a guy who, who you know, like heard me repeatedly talking about this. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I have to say this with with humility, or at least I'm going to try to. But I know that he really liked me, right? Like he got a kick out of me. And I know that he kind of looked at me like being like, Hey, one of the good guys, he's on the air, but it's kind of cool that, you know, he's buddies with us or whatever. And I knew that about him. I mean, he I, I was like right there for him to say to me, hey, Michael, you know, I'm, uh, you know, like 
I'm struggling like you. But he never did. And that just breaks my heart to think that, you know, what was going on in his head that prevented him from sharing? Yeah, that's uh, that's always the ultimate question when it comes down to that. And we've seen so much of it in the hockey community. I'm really sorry for for your loss and for his family's loss. It's just a tragic story. And they continue to happen in and around the hockey community, outside the hockey community. I've read a couple different reports, and this is since the beginning of COVID. I've heard that suicides have stayed the same and they've actually potentially reduced. But then I've done, you know, some where they're saying, of course, they've impacted, uh, you know, COVID impacted. But what are your thoughts on maybe, you know, three to five years from now, the impact that this pandemic is going to leave and, and kind of what you've seen thus far? Yeah, I think that's a bit over my uh, my pay grade. You know, I mentioned the uh, saying before, you know, stay in yeah. my lane. It's like I know what I know and I know what I don't know. So I'm not sure I can answer that. It's like people ask all the time, you know, are we doing better with the stigma? And my answer is, yeah, I kind of think like we're doing a bit better. I still think it's a major issue, but, you know, I don't know. Like I'm just one guy having conversations with people. But, you know, I, I think when you look down the road, there will be a price to pay without a doubt for where we've been over the last couple of years, for the things that we've lost, for um, just for the lack of socializing that many of us did for a couple of years. Like there will be a cost for that for sure. And I think it's going to affect young people probably more than it will older people. Uh, and uh, I think just I, I mean i'm kind of afraid as to where we're heading and what kind of setback this was and is i'm just i'm just not sure because like i said uh, i don't know who am i well you your uh you, your opinion is very uh respected over On here some things yeah I, you know you know who knows as much about mental illness as me you and <laughs> and hold on everybody else who's been through it. We all understand it from the inside out. The only difference between me and others is that A, I choose to talk about it, uh, and B, I'm a professional talker, right? So it's very easy for me to take what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, and get it out of my mouth. Whereas, you know, for a lot of people, you know, who have spent their lives doing different things, not talking like I have talked, it's more difficult for them. But we all know it from the inside out. Yeah. And I think it's important just for people to remember too. And, and I always say this too, because I, you know, I came out and started speaking publicly, so it's a little bit different, but it doesn't have to be, you know, for, for everyone to hear. Um, sometimes just starting with a conversation with a, a trusted loved one can make the world a difference. And I've seen it firsthand, not just for myself, but for other people as well. Yeah. You know that, uh, I mean, one of the things that I say, like when I'm giving a talk is it's like, Hey, you know, like I'm not saying, you know, don't misread this, that I'm saying that I can do something that other people can't do. I, I only get to sort of be associated with mental illness because of my career, because of the platforms that I've been given. And because, you know, like I choose to talk about it and to try to use my own experience to make a different in, difference in someone else's life. But anybody can make a difference in others' lives if they choose to talk about it. It doesn't matter whether you're, you know, a person that has hosted television most of his life or a guy like you that played professional hockey. It doesn't matter who you are, but if you're sitting in a public setting, if you're at the dinner table, if you're at a party with family, if you're at work and you talk about your own battle with mental illness, you will change somebody's life because someone will hear it and they will appreciate the fact that, hey, if he's or she's talking about it, I can talk about it too. I 
I couldn't agree with you more. And you continue to do, uh, you know, great work with, uh, is Casey still behind the scenes there yeah. at Sick Not Week behind yeah. the camera? Because I saw one with, um, Casey wasn't behind the camera the one day you were Jake. talking. Jake. My, yeah. Um, uh, Casey is still, uh, she shoots the Daily Lands blog every day. Now she's a cookie entrepreneur. She has a, a company called That's Sweeties. Right. And uh, she makes cookies that people love. And uh, I am... Uh, very proud of the fact that I am the director of logistics, which means that I drive and make deliveries for her when she needs someone to make deliveries. And it's so funny because people go, hey, hey, Landsberg, so is this what you're doing now with your life? You know, like, it's like, okay, well, you know, if you want to think that, I, I'm not ashamed of that, but no, I, I am doing some other things, but it's my daughter who's making this. So it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm in the delivery business professionally not that there would be anything wrong but yeah i mean working with with her has been just like a, a huge blessing for me i mean just that, uh, yeah it's been really cool that's amazing and that you know that's a gift of uh you know probably walking away from tsn and and some of the other things you're doing there was a pretty uh pretty rigorous schedule you were running there for a long time especially over the last few years in the morning yeah. Yeah. Really like what time are you sleeping until now I, I wake up at seven every day, um, not on the weekend, but I, I like tomorrow morning, I'll wake up at seven and I'll start, I'll start working right on, uh, I mean, we have a charity and, you know, part of my job is to raise money for the charity. And part of my job is to, you know, to create programming, um, you know, whether it's a video or whether it's, um, you know, any number of things that we're doing, you know, that, uh, you know, our, uh, my goal is to talk about mental health in ways that are interesting and you know not clinical and boring and dull but to try to bring people's interest and keep their interest by you know bringing you know some kind of entertainment to it so uh, i wake up at 7 a.m and i'm pretty happy not to be waking up at uh at 4 30. oh god that is just no brady that is no way to live it's so hard it just beats you down and you know, not good for mental illness too. Like I, I would, uh, so I would wake up at 4.30, I would do the show from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. And then, you know, as soon as I clicked off the show, I'd be thinking, God, I just want to take a nap. I want to take a nap, but I can't take a nap now. So I'll wait till like one o'clock and I'd be thinking until one, how long till I take a nap? How long till I take a nap? And then I would take a nap. And when I would get in, you know, lie down on the couch or whatever, I would think this is the greatest thing ever. Like, oh my God, just being able to close my eyes is amazing. But then I would wake up and I'd be depressed the rest of the day. You know, I would just, you know, like that was a trigger for me it would be taking, uh, you know, sleeping during the day, which I needed to do. So I'm pretty happy not to be doing that. No, no kidding. And did I see you uh, del delivering or handing out cookies through a, through a drive through window or through a window sometime? That, yes, I have done that too. Yes. We had a pop up on Queen Street. And uh, so I'm the guy on the street going, hey, sir, sir, let me, let me just say this. I may be wrong and you know you're very slim and trim beautiful physique for sure but you love cookies don't you and you know so that's like my sales pitch right you go what do you mean i go well you like cookies right he goes yeah yeah i like cookies knowing of course like who doesn't like cookies so i would try to attract people's attention uh you know to get them to uh to buy cookies which um you better have pretty thick skin for that because a lot of people will never stop will never slow down will never look you in the eye yeah you're flagging flagging for casey i flagging I, for casey i i love that i love to see that and i love that she's uh she's out there you know trying something that she's passionate about and and likes to do and and what better way to brighten up someone's day than with a cookie like holy Absolutely. 
Where, where can people get these cookies while we're while we're on this? How does that uh, work? You can find her on uh, on Instagram and uh, and TikTok, and on her websites. Uh, her, her website, uh, Sweeties is spelled S W E E T S I E S. Sweeties, uh, Sweetiescookies.com, and uh, and they're great, right? And if you order cookies, uh, and you don't really really love them. I'll, I'll, I'll show up at your house and punch <laughs> your fucking head in. No, I'll show up your, at your house and I'll give you your money back. Like, that's how sure I am. And yeah, sure, of course, you know, she's my daughter. So obviously, you know, I'm kind of shilling for her. But it's true. There are, people love them. They're amazing. I love it. Sweetseescookies.com at Sweetseescookies. And uh, tell us before we wrap it up here, Michael, we're coming up to an, on an hour. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I'd love to have you again. Uh, Anytime. I told you this. You didn't. You didn't message me. You know, I don't think for for a long time. If if you say to me, uh, you know, like on Friday of this week, if you say, "Hey, you know, when do you want to come back?" Uh, you know, I'd say, "Okay, well, you know, I can't do next Monday, but how about the Monday after or whatever?" So you you just got to ask, and if you don't ask, that's your fault. <laughs> well, I really I really appreciate and that. And you're really good at this. You know, like your questions are really good. Okay, Riggs, just one <laughs> sec, buddy. Um, Riggs is calling the show. Yeah, exactly. So you, uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're really good at this. You bring a lot to the table and uh, your questions are, are really uh, bang on. So thanks for having me. Well, thank you. And tell us quickly where people can check out Sick Not Week and, and uh, where the best place is to take in that content. Uh, SickNotWeek.com. Uh, also, uh, yeah, join the movement. And it kind of is, right? Like, I don't mean just Sick Not Week, but, you know, the, the attitude, the attitude is, I think, really important. Uh, and since I started this uh, this show by kind of, by swearing, uh, I'm going to swear right now and say it's kind of like sick, not weak. What what you're not saying afterwards, but I it should be there is, hey, I'm sick, not weak. So fuck off if you think that this is my fault. If you think that my illness is uh, a weakness on my part, or because I let it happen to me, or I chose it, uh, I think. People need to embrace that and, you know, need to give up the shame and acknowledge the fact that, hey, you know, like you're the victim, right? So you're the one that people should have sympathy for, as opposed to the way you look at yourself and beat yourself up for this illness. So yeah, sick, not weak. And uh, if you don't like it, not you, but if, if people don't buy it, it's like uh, too fucking bad. I, I love it. I love it. Where's the best place? YouTube? Is that where we're directing people? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, it, does, it doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm here to be on your show, not to sell my, uh, my, uh, my charity. So well, listen, I'm, listen, I'm a fan. I, I take it all in. It's, it's, you know, I do some of the, some of this work in the mental health field addiction space, but I still look for people to inspire me and people to educate me. And you're one of those people. So thank well, you. Right back at you. I know this is sounding kind of like, uh, wait, Hold on. Am I talking to George Peros? You, you, you have a George Peros thing going on right now. Uh, you um, must have heard that before, right? I actually have not heard the really? George Peros comparison. That's a first one. First time, but I'm surprised. It kinda, I kind of, I kind of, I see it. I see it. He's way bigger and tougher than me, but I'll take it. I like it. He's yeah. a great guy too. Great guy. He is. He was on off the record once with, uh, what was, what was his name? Uh, it was a fighter. Uh, his last name was, was it Ball? B-A-L? Um, so they were on off the record together and, uh, and so I guess it was a Gerald Ball. Was that his name? Uh, I could look it up quickly. Anyway, the point is 
that he's playing in the NHL and he was like second or third in the NHL in fights. And he's on with George Peros and he says to George Peros, hey, you know, hey, you know, we should fight each other sometime. And Peros goes, you sure? And he goes, yeah. And I swear to God, I'm watching a game and they drop the gloves. And I think, oh, my God, how cool is that? You know, he he and, and he got the crap pounded out of him like Peros just killed him. And I thought, oh, my God, that's so cool that, you know, like <laughs> I heard them kind of threatening each other. So um, anyway, uh, that's a great inspiring story. me and uh, I'll try to do the same for you. Well, thank you so much, everyone. Sicknotweek.com on all social medias at Sicknotweek and your personal page. I don't know how much you do at want Hayland's people over there. Yeah. At, at Haylandsburg, yeah. Twitter, Instagram, everywhere. Michael, thanks so much for doing this. Keep it up and we'll chat with you soon. Tell Casey thanks for helping coordinate it behind the scenes too. Okay. Thanks, man. Good to see okay, you. Okay. We'll, we'll chat soon. All right, guys. That's the great Michael Landsberg. Thank you, Michael, for your time, for your great insight. I certainly greatly appreciate it. I know some other people do, too. We'll get to some comments here shortly, but not before we hear a quick word from our friends over there at Pride Tape who continue to do amazing work right around the NHL. They're in Major League Baseball and many other sports. They're everywhere, and they're about to launch a new book, Hockey is for Everyone. And uh, I have one of the very first copies set up. Shout out to my guy, Dean Petrick from Pride Tape. I got to meet him and his son, Andrew, along with Stuart Smith. We shared the ice with them. Uh, we went to a hockey game together. Thank you for the book. It's a kid's book. I'm going to be talking a lot about it. It's, I think it comes out at the end of August, at the end of August. But it's an incredible book, um, and I can't wait for everyone to see it. We'll be right back in a second to wrap up this show. Hockey to Hell and Back is brought to you by Pride Tape. Pride Tape is a badge of support from teammates, coaches, parents, and pros to young LGBTQ players. It shows every player that they belong playing the sport they love and that we're all on the same team. Show your support for teammates, coaches, and fans in the LGBTQ community by wrapping your stick with Pride Tape. Every roll of tape will make an impact in sports and beyond. Inclusion starts with leadership. Check out some of the ideas of how you can get involved at youcanplayproject.org. Check out Pride Tape at pridetape.com. For more information, you can send an email to aubrey at pridetape.com. That's A-U-B-R-E-E, Aubrey, at PrideTape.com. You can find PrideTape on Facebook.com slash PrideTape, on Twitter at PrideTape, and at PrideTape on Instagram. PrideTape thanks all of you for being champions for change. Who's hockey? Hockey is for everyone. Who's hockey? Sorry, I got it wrong there. Thanks for to Susan for bringing it down. There it is. Review copy. Look for this, parents, hockey parents out there, teachers, hockey coaches. This is uh, a great book for for young peoples. It's all about hockey being for everybody. Little little girl moves, and nobody is playing hockey in her new town, and so she introduces it. You got to check this out. Shout out to my friends over there at. Pride tape and check this out. Hold on, check this out. It's licensed by the NHL. That's right. Way to go, guys. Way to go, Jeff.
Way to go, Jeff and Dean. Everyone over there at Pride Tape, keep up the amazing work. Thank you for this amazing gift. I've got a hat too. Maybe I'll wear it next show. There's lots that I could have carried on about with Michael Landsberg, but as you heard from him, hopefully he'll be back again soon. We'll get to a couple comments here before I wrap up the show. My guy Brody Kerbison watching down there in Barry with his beautiful wife Tara and maybe his son Leo, if Leo's still awake. Hello to the Kerbison family. Matt Thiessen, how are you, man? Coach Dad and Sons, what's up, Reed family? Love you guys. Sam Marzen, what's up, Sam? Thanks for hanging out. Marty, what's up, my guy? Thanks for coming by. Tammy's watching down there in Michigan. Thank you, Tammy. Taylor's watching with Hadley. She says, hi, Daddy. Hi, Had. You're probably sleeping now. Joseph says, good evening, everyone. Dean Smeal watching in St. Paul, Alberta. I was texting with him during the show. What's up, Dino? Rob collects. Love the show, Brady. Thank you, Rob. Going to skip ahead on some of Dean's. That's why we were texting. He was giving, giving us updates. One zip, Tampa. Proud of both of you. And then he says, sorry, no goal. Longest review ever. My friend Rob Sadler. Watching with Tammy, maybe? What's up, Rod? Rod, Rob, crossing up my words. This is great stuff. Really enjoying this. Thanks for watching, Sads. Matt Maxwell, a message for Michael Landsberg says, off the record, needs to return somewhere. I hear that. Good luck. Good luck getting him to do that. I don't see it happening. Doug Eaton watching. He says, it is the stigma. No one wants to talk about themselves. Good point, Doug. Brody says, it always starts with the conversation. Thank you, Michael, for coming on tonight and sharing your time and words. Much, much appreciated. And again, great show, Brady. Thank you, Brody. Thank you to the Reed family. Really great show, boys. Thank you to my guy, Rick Sterling, up there near Ottawa. Nice job, boys. And Tim Miller watching says, great show, Brady. Awesome. Thank you. Tim. Guys, if you haven't seen the limited edition Canada Day hoodie, there it is. Now available for pre-order only. Pucksupport.com. There's a picture of our friend Joanna. Great pictures taken by Brody, who's watching. Brody Kerbison photo. Add him on Instagram. If you're in and around the GTA, especially the Barrier, Muskoka area, and you need some pictures done, hit them up. We have youth ones. There's Hadley. There's Lincoln. This is a limited edition hoodie. When it's gone, it's gone. It is available for pre-order only until June 10th. After that, you will not be able to get it. And get it up into 4XL in these ones, and youth sizes small to extra large. Thank you to Brody for the great pictures. Limited edition Canada Day hoodie. When it's gone, it's gone. Pucksupport.com. There's lots of other stuff. We're going to have some new stuff coming up there in the future as well. Purple golf shirt, anyone? If you're watching on video, please press that like button. If you're on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, please. Please. If you're watching on Facebook, can you go to the YouTube channel and subscribe? you're listening to audio, 
Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever it may be. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, for me personally, you know, I, I haven't really been talking about my own mental health that much lately. Um, I wanted to share something uh, within the show, and I just didn't really get much of a chance to, uh, to chat about it. But I've been having these, um, you know, it's interesting. I don't know how to go about saying this, but um, not so much lately. But, you know, there's, I went through a really hard time in my life. Obviously, people know this through serious addiction serious mental health challenges, a lot of time in the psych wards, a lot of suicide attempts, a lot of overdoses, a lot of hopelessness. And, uh, you know, I don't feel a whole lot of that anymore. I mean, generally speaking, I don't, but there's still hard days. Um, but we talked about this voice within, within our heads, Michael and I, thank you, Michael, for bringing it up, that, that voice that it's that negative voice of, you know, putting you down or whatever. Over the last two years, I've had these like brief moments where I've been in situations where like I've been on literally a cliff or like on a bridge and I get this like idea. It's like, you should just jump. It's like, whoa, what? Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where is that coming from? And, you know, I share this because I've, I have shared this with a few other people and they often much to my surprise, had had similar feelings where it wasn't that I was going to actually act out on it, but just that quick snap decision where that's still there. That part is still there where that hopeless feeling can, can, can come and go. And I hope that made a little bit of sense without concerning anybody because I'll be perfectly frank with you guys, I am actually really good. It's just scary when you're doing great. Sometimes you feel great, but then all of a sudden you have this, I should say I, not you. I have this little inclination. It's like, oh, back to that stinking thinking, I'll call it. Stinking thinking. That's what they called it in rehab. I didn't just make that up. Anyways, that's it. That's all for tonight. I'll have some pictures of the Tom Cochran concert. Maybe next show. Now, I don't know if we're going to do another show this week. We may a special show, episode 100. I know I promised Ted Nolan coming on the show. I had my dates crossed up. Ted Nolan is going to be here next Monday, May the 30th, 8 p.m. Eastern with legendary coach and just overall great guy. I had the pleasure of meeting him. Uh, about two months ago, Ted Nolan from the 3N Hockey Foundation, the three Nolans. He's going to stop by for an hour or so and, and uh, share some of his time with us. If you want to watch and join the show, ask questions, set your reminders. It's going to be posted very soon. Pucksupport.com, guys. Promo code HOPE. Support the movement. Got the hat on. A little bit off shade purple. Let me know what you think about the purple golf shirt in the comments or shoot me a message. This is something that you'd like to wear on the golf course this golf season. Got to let us know. This is one of one prototype. 
limited edition hoodies. I don't want people to tell me that they didn't know about this and then want one after it's done. June the 10th, you only have until June the 10th to get your limited edition Puck Support Canada Day 2022 hoodie. PuckSupport.com, use promo code HOPE. It's gonna save you a little bit of money. Thank you to Michael Landsberg. Thank you to everybody who took the time out of your schedule to watch or listen to the show. It means so much to me. This show really does keep me going more than you guys know. We're going to keep a regular schedule moving forward. Like, share, subscribe. It doesn't cost you anything. And that's how we get things done around here is through all of you guys. And once again, I'm just so grateful for each and every single one of you. One more thing I wanted to say, and now I'm forgetting it. Of course, it will come to me after the show. That's just how this usually works. Anyways, we'll wrap it up. Hello to all my family back in BC, Brooklyn, Brody. Love you guys. Miss you guys. And we will be talking more about my trip back home in the very, very, very near future. I think we'll do a surprise episode this week, maybe with my dad and uh, maybe someone else just to kind of reflect back on the last 100 shows of Hockey to Hell and Back. People keep telling me that I should be celebrating the 100th show. Just another show. The show must go on. Anyways, take care of each other. If you're struggling, please don't give up on yourself. Please don't give up on yourself. If you need someone to talk to, reach out to me. If I don't get back to you, just shoot me another message. I'm usually pretty available pretty available and if it's not me please reach out to somebody else please thank you take care of each other yourselves we'll see you guys for sure next monday with ted nolan at 8 p.m possibly again this week with my dad we'll see about that anyways guys until then remember and i'm changing the words here it's not going to be have a great day make a great day if you so choose make a great day if you so choose I want the real stuff, everybody listen up Cause I'll only say it once, I'ma show you all the path If you want it bad, I'ma show you every side Yeah, how you can get it back, yeah, cause I ain't never done I'll be number one